0: Welcome to the Krug Show. Hope everybody's having a great Friday, January the 12th, 2024, 1054 on the West Coast. Hope everybody's having a phenomenal day. Welcome to the Krug Show. Brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in all of Northern California. Check them out. In Emeryville and Corte Madera, we're also brought to you by Marin Autoglass, 415-883-3030, as well as Underdog Fantasy and Mojo Fantasy check the link in the description use that promo code krug and they will match you up to your first 100 dollars in our normal time slot here chase senior stops by from chat sports to uh, to talk with us fresh off of his trip to the national championship
1: chase how was the road trip to houston it was awesome and i was expecting us to have a pretty good game but Michigan really started off by dominating that football game. They ran for 170 yards in that first quarter. Donovan Edwards able to pop a couple of long runs and going into that game. I thought Michigan had the advantage at the line of scrimmage, both with their offensive line and the defensive line. As Niner fans know, Jim Harbaugh led teams are always built in the trenches and I tweeted it out after watching that game up close and personal from the 100 level. Michigan should run it until Washington proves that they can stop it. And Washington in the second quarter made some adjustments in the third quarter, did a little bit better against the run. But then Michigan really wore down Washington throughout that game. And how about the job that Michigan did defensively? You know, Mike McDonald used to be the Michigan defensive coordinator. He's now the D.C. of the Baltimore Ravens, number one defense in the NFL. He did a great job scheming up against Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan, and the Niners offense on Christmas. And Jesse Minter is now Michigan's new defensive coordinator who's still running that pro-style, complex defensive scheme, which really had that Washington offense flustered. They couldn't get it working through the air because Michael Penix, I thought, was just a little bit flustered in the pocket with that Michigan pass rush. And uh, Michigan just does such a good job. They have this... Veteran laden secondary of communicating and then passing wide receivers off from the first level to the second level to the third level. They were in sync, making checks at the line. Just really, really impressed with what Michigan was able to display in that game. But really, all year going fifteen and zero.
0: Yeah, Michigan was so such a loaded roster, and then I felt bad for UW because their star running back who had a tremendous year just was not a hundred percent. I'm not saying that would have been the difference, but Dylan uh, Johnson. Yeah. Dylan Johnson's a good player. uh, What Mississippi's transfer and Mississippi state transfer, I think. Um, And just a good, really good football player. And he just, you know, he's dinged up earlier coming into that game and he just, he tried to give it a go. He's a tough kid, but he just couldn't make it happen. And, and unfortunately, I mean, and, and here's the weird thing about that. Michigan. I thought was there was a chance they were going to dominate that game statistically and still wind up losing. I mean, it was only a seven point spread, seven point difference. And yet they were running for, you know, 12 yards of carry and Washington wasn't running it at all. Um, and yet, um, you know, Michigan pulled away late. Quorum got the, the, the backbreaker touchdown. Michigan is a really loaded football team. I mean, if you're one of these guys like me who looks ahead to the draft and watches all the college personnel, you know how good that Wolverine roster is. Their corners, um, St. the other bigger corner, um, you know, tremendous players, the left tackle, I love 73. Uh, Chris Jenkins in the middle on that defensive line, both those backs, JJ McCarthy, the receivers. I mean, the Wolverines, this was very much about talent and they had a ton of it. Um, and uh
1: credit Jim Harbaugh. Now, do you think is gonna stay or do you think is gonna bolt? I've been hearing that the Chargers are going hard after him and there's some mutual interest there. And I was talking to some people who had said that the deal's been signed over the last couple of weeks. But when you win a national championship, you're not going to win it, celebrate with your squad, and then jump to the NFL the next day. I think he's given it some time to maybe think about it, to maybe go through his options, or to just let Michigan fans really celebrate the national championship. I kind of lean toward him going just because of all of the NCAA issues that he's had to deal with and the headaches of that. But if he does come back, and Michigan gets a little bit better at wide receiver. They are losing a lot of pro-level players, but if he gets J.J. McCarthy back, who I think needs to go back to school because I think he's a little bit too raw, I'm not sure the Michigan game plan really showed that they trusted him fully as a passer, then Michigan, with the expanded playoff, can make another run at it, and he has this contract on his desk potentially of more than $100 million. So for him, a lot of great options. And you know what's interesting, Larry, Had some opportunities to interview interview Jim Harbaugh last week, and usually he doesn't like media gatherings, and he's always very short. You know that from being at the press conferences up close and personal. He went about as in-depth, and had some of the greatest answers I've ever heard from him. So it seems as though he's in a really good mental spot right now, and that's good to see because I've always been a fan of his. But the way that he was talking ball, you can just tell he has so much passion and so much energy for this game left, and the same obviously can't be said for Pete Carroll and Nick Saban, and we'll see about Bill Belichick as we've had a turning of the guard with some of these legendary coaches over the last couple of days.
0: All right. There's a lot of Niner stuff to talk about. Adam Peters jumps to the commanders today, and he was one of John Lynch's initial hires. They took him away from Denver. He's a Bay Area guy. I think the thinking here in the Bay uh, uh, was that he was going to be the guy who took over for John Lynch and that John Lynch was not going to be a long timer at general manager and that Peters would be, you know, the heir apparent. And I think, especially when Rand Carthon jumped to the Titans last year. I think the belief was that Rand jumped because John was here and Peters was the heir apparent, and now Peters jumps. Bob Myers was, um, you know, really good in landing him. They both went to UCLA. Myers led the the search. Once I saw Peters on the list, I knew that he was the primary, even though there were a couple other people listed as primary options as well. Um, I, I think that was, you know, Uh, kind of a fait accompli that this was going to be Peters trying to resuscitate that commander's brand. How big of a loss is this? Adam Schefter reported, um, you know, this first, I believe it's the first GM uh, hiring. They hired him, you know, to be their assistant general manager. John got that promotion with the title. They didn't necessarily change Peters uh, deal uh, as far as his his
1: title. Are you surprised that Adam Peters jumped to the Commanders? I'm not. I think this has been in the works over the last couple of years. You know, a few offseason cycles ago, he interviewed with the New York Giants. And then last year, he turned down a couple of interviews. And I think he's just been working his way to a general manager position where he can oversee and run a front office just by himself. And a lot of people watching right now are probably confused because John Lynch, as you said, Larry, did get that upgrade in title. And technically, they could have elevated Adam Peters to general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. And he has those NorCal ties. That would be a great story. But even though he would get an elevation in title, It's still Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch who are running the show who oversee this roster. Now Adam Peters can go to a big brand, to an organization that has a proud history with a new ownership group where you no longer have to deal with Dan Snyder. It's now led by the majority owner and Joshua Harris, who's done a pretty good job with his ownership in running the Philadelphia 76ers, as well as the New Jersey Devils. And I think all of the stars kind of align for Peters. He canvassed the market over the last couple of years, and he was waiting for a good opportunity. And with Washington, you get that. Major media market, big-name brand. Now he gets to oversee the entire front office. He also gets to hire his head coach. And according to reports, he's going hard after – Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, who was sought after during last year's head coaching cycle, but he wanted to refine his play calling and his offensive vision and have another crack at it with Detroit this year. And it's worked out for him because Detroit had arguably its best season in franchise history. And now, after Ben Johnson was really able to increase his value last offseason, he did it even more. So if you're the commanders, I think you're in a really good spot here. You have a good ownership group that isn't dysfunctional and doesn't have all the issues that they had with Dan Snyder, who's just an absolute stiff. And now you hire probably the most sought after general manager candidate, across the NFL, and Adam Peters, who now might be able to bring in one of the more innovative offensive minds in the National Football League, and the commanders for the first time in a really, really long time are in a good spot. They're also playing in a winnable division in the NFC East. There's been no repeat winner of that division since 2004, and when you play in that division, number one media market, New York, number four media market, Philadelphia, Number eight media market in Dallas and you being in the nation's capital, you get a lot of primetime games, too. So I think all of those are reasons for why Adam Peters left. And for him, that's a good job for him to get this job because the commanders interviewed Ian Cunningham, who's well-respected, assistant GM with Chicago, Glenn Cook, Alec Hallaby, who's been Howie Roseman's right-hand man for 16 years, and Will McClay, who's very well-respected inside that Cowboys front office as their assistant general manager
0: who's the heir apparent do you do you hire Tariq Ahmad? he's in his third season as the, the Niners director of college scouting uh, he was the you know the was he was the team's assistant director of college scouting got promoted into the director of college scouting uh, he spent 5 seasons as an area scout um, one as an assistant in the 49ers scouting department he he spent 4 seasons as as the director of recruiting at Rutgers Seven seasons overall there with Rutgers program. Um, Got his master's degree in education administration. Obviously a bright guy. Is he the heir apparent or do you think they look outside?
1: Yeah, you could go Tariq Ahmad, director of college scouting. R.J. Gillen is the director of pro personnel for San Francisco. And let me throw this out there if you want to go back to familiarity. Marty Mayhew's been the commander's general manager for the last three years. Peters might let him go. Do you bring back Marty Mayhew to be a a member of this Niners front office? Knows the organization, good working relationship with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, and he had to deal with Dan Snyder over the last couple of years and Ron Rivera as their head coach. He had to inherit Ron Rivera as the head coach, and I think his best days are behind him old school defensive mind who went by the nickname Riverboat Ron, but was actually a pretty conservative head coach, I think you could go with any three of those options to replace Adam Peters. And look, this is the thing. When the Niners are as well run of an organization as they are, and when they've had as much success as they've had in recent memory, three NFC championship games over the last four years and a number one seed this year, other teams are going to look at you as the model. Other teams are going to look at you to see who they can pluck so that they can get their organization back on track. And that's why Robert Sala was poached to become the Jets head coach. That's why Mike McDaniel was hired by the Miami Dolphins as part of that Kyle Shanahan tree. That's why D'Amico Ryans, who is the first Rookie head coach paired with a rookie quarterback to win a division in the history of the NFL got taken by the Texans. And that's why countless executives have been taken away from this Niners front office to run football ops elsewhere. So, yes, it's a loss for San Francisco, but fans should look at the Niners organization. They're in a really good spot. You'd rather have it be this way than them be so bad like they've been at moments since the turn of the century. Yeah, this is
0: the way it goes. I mean, you win.
1: Your guys get rewarded,
0: promoted, and hired away. Now, are are there any other defections you think on the horizon? The Bears are going to interview Clint Kubiak for their OC position. There's been a lot of rumor about Brian Greasy. The Niners could prevent Greasy from leaving by simply naming him the offensive coordinator. Shanahan is the de facto offensive coordinator and the head coach. Will the Niners try to keep Kubiak or or greasy by you know just giving them that offensive coordinator title or do you think they one of one or the other could go and then there's steve wilkes as well mm-hmm. who has been interviewing for i'm sure he's going to get multiple interviews there was reports about the falcons i would imagine steve may get a couple interviews who, who's next to go with
1: is or will they retain their guys yeah the 49ers could technically block the interviews for a brian greasy or some of their other assistants but Here's the issue that they run into is that Clint Kubiak you could elevate him to offensive coordinator but Kyle Shanahan is always going to be the play caller. They did that with Mike McDaniel. He was the pass game coordinator, he became OC back in 2021 but he left because Kyle Shanahan was always going to call the plays. So if Clint Kubiak has an opportunity to get back to being a play caller, and at the end of last year, once Nathaniel Hackett got fired, he actually did a pretty solid job of doing that with the Denver Broncos, and now he's a part of this Kyle Shanahan tree. The Shanahan, McVay, Matt LaFleur tree, it's long and windy in the NFL, and their fingerprints are all across the National Football League then I think you have to give that opportunity to Kubiak if he can become the full-time play caller with the Chicago Bears. I think the same can be said for Brian Greasy. You can elevate him to OC, but he might want an opportunity to run an offense somewhere. And look at the job that he's done with Jimmy Garoppolo, who was playing really, really well last year before he got hurt, and then we see how poorly he played with the Las Vegas Raiders. That's a credit to Kyle Shanahan, Brian Greasy, and this offensive staff look at how Trey Lance looked at moments and then look at what Brock Purdy has been able to do now in a little more than a full season sample size. And in his first, regular season as a full-time starter. He was number one in many quarterback categories. He broke the record for the most passing yards in a single season. And Brian Greasy can be credited with that because he's the quarterback's coach. So he's another one who could leave to be a primary play caller somewhere and is now a part of the Kyle Shanahan tree. Brian Fleury is another one. He's the current Niners tight ends coach. Peter King wrote about him, about how he could draw some interest and He has a pretty interesting path because tight ends coach who has a long and vast offensive background, but he's also been a defensive specialist assistant coach for San Francisco. So that's a coach who has a very diverse skill set that teams could look at and really like. And then for Steve Wilkes, with his play calling this year and with the job that he's done with this defense, in-game adjustments, developing defensive backs, Diamador Lenore, Ambry Thomas, Charverius Ward, who was just named an AP second team all pro and his experience level at the NFL level. And then with how much players respect him, he could be next. Atlanta Falcons interviewing an interview request and the Los Angeles Chargers submitting an interview request. So again, this is what happens when you're a really good organization. Teams are going to try to take away from you because of how well run your organization is. And Steve
0: Wilkes, if he does jump because he's only been here one year, the Niners will not get that third round compensatory yep. selection. A lot of people are like, "Well, let him leave and take the third round pick." Uh, he won't get the Niners won't get the third round pick unless Steve stays one more year, and then they potentially, then they would. Um, what do you think, though? If Wilkes left, who's the defensive coordinator? Would they promote from within a, a Daniel Bullock's or somebody like that, or would they look on the outside?
1: At what point are we going to have the conversation that? Chris Kosarek has earned the right to be a defensive coordinator in this league. He's the best defensive line coach in the NFL. He consistently maximizes and develops the hell seemingly out of every single defensive lineman that he's able to coach. And when you maximize players and you're able to get them back on track like an Arden Key, a Charles and who this year, a Cleveland Furl, who I thought fell under the radar, but was a pretty impact player. Your player development Your scheme, your style, it's become very, very impressive for Chris Kosarek. And when D'Amico Ryans went to the Houston Texans, he wanted to bring Kosarek with him as the potential DC. And if the Niners at some point don't elevate him to defensive coordinator, is he just going to go somewhere else? I understand that Kosarek is paid handsomely and he's gotten raises from the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan really values him and the Niners want him a part of this organization. But life is about upward mobility and the average coordinator at the NFL level makes a million dollars per year. And Chris Kosarek probably isn't in that neighborhood. I'm not sure what his salary is, but at some point he's going to want to challenge himself professionally and he's going to want to prove that he can be a DC and a play caller in this league. So is that the name that you look at so that you can hold on to him and you can continue to develop a really key component of your football team in the defensive line. Um, I'm going to go to a super chat here. Gammon
0: Brown says uh, he throws in five bucks at Chase, at Larry. He says, do you think Bill Belichick would join the 49ers as a defensive coordinator next season if Steve Wilkes gets a head coaching position? This was something I tweeted out, and I got so much pushback. Even (laughs) my 14-year-old was, like, shaking his head in the hallway. I said, what are you shaking your head at? He's like, Dad, that was the worst tweet of all time. And I'm like, I get it, but I, but I, but I do, you know, I do need to remind people that we've seen very accomplished coaches in their seventies, um, take far lesser roles than you would ever dream. Bill Walsh was the head coach of Stanford after he won three Super Bowls with the Niners. He came back as the Niners vice president. He wasn't even the general manager for a while. Um, Sid Gilman was a great coach in the fifties and sixties. He was the Eagles quarterback coach in 1981. This guy's like the father of the forward pass. And then the other guy is Ozzie Newsome. Ozzie Newsome. I just bumped into him in the press box the other night. He's still with the Ravens. He's a consultant at this point. Um, I asked Lock and Fora a couple of weeks ago, where's Belichick going next? Who's he going to coach? He said, he's not going to coach. I said, is he going to be a GM? He said, no, he's not going to be a GM. I said, what's he going to do? He said, he's probably going to be a consultant or a football operations consultant or a defensive consultant. There's two teams that I think make sense as far as Belichick if he all he wanted to do was be a coordinator. If the Niners crap out and Steve Wilkes left and the Niners all have all these young DBs, I think it would make sense. They can pay him anything they want, and I'll give you one other. If you know, if if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles and I, you know, I lose out in the playoffs and they decide not to fire Sirianni, or even if they do, um, I could see Belichick going to Philly. He's in the Northeast. They need a a change on the back end of their pass defense. Nobody knows pass defense better than Belichick. I could see Belichick in Philly or the Niners. I I, I don't know if he wants to be a head coach. I know everybody's assuming he wants those wins to pass Shula. I don't don't know. Belichick's a different cat. I don't know that he wants those wins. I I think he may want to just go back to his roots, which is coaching just defensive football. And I don't think he wants to retire, but I don't know that he wants to be a head coach, which is more of a CEO type position. And he hates dealing with the media. He's not a GM. I think Belichick, the GM really is the reason that Belichick, the head coach got dumped in uh, new England or they opted to move on. Where's Belichick going to go next? People are saying Falcons, Panthers. I I think if he goes there and and they don't do well, his his kind of standing takes a hit.
1: You got great insights to the Eagles. Could you see him in Philly? Could you see him here? Yeah, the thing with Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, they like more of a collaborative approach. And with Bill Belichick, he'd be running the show. Now, I would look into hiring Bill Belichick if I was an owner or a general manager under one condition. You can run the defense all that you want, and you can find defensive personnel, but you're not going to be the general manager because it hasn't worked out for a really long time with New England, and you are not going to have a say in offensive personnel. That offense was absolutely dreadful, 30th in the NFL, but when you watch Patriots games this year, especially the second half of the season, that defensive scheme still works. The defensive communication is still there. They can still get after the quarterback. He does a great job coaching defensive backs. Always has really good linebackers. And this is what good coaches do. Whether you're talking about Kyle Shanahan offensively or Bill Belichick defensively, you got to put your players in a position to succeed and maximize them. And that's what Belichick's able to do. Also, of note for Philadelphia, Jeffrey Lurie, back in the day before he purchased the Eagles, wanted to purchase the new England Patriots before Robert Kraft. And he's a new England area guy. I just don't know if it makes sense because of how that front office has always been structured and the collaborative approach that they like, but, if they're desperate for a Super Bowl with the win now roster and Howie Roseman's one of the best general managers in the game, do you just let Belichick run the defense and then you figure out the offensive side of the ball? It would not shock me at all because the Eagles are a very aggressive organization. But you look at the landscape of openings at the NFL level right now. I thought maybe Mike Vrabel was going to go to New England. They hired Gerard Mayo. Mike Vrabel is the next 49ers defensive coordinator. I would absolutely love that. He's a Belichick guy too. who did a yeah. great job in that position with the Titans as head coach and as the DC for the Houston Texans. I think that he would be a terrific hire, but some of these jobs don't really make a lot of sense for Belichick. like Him going to Atlanta, I just can't see it, but it is an awful division that maybe he'd be able to win a division title in. Does he go to Carolina in that same division? The big-name brand going to a little brand like that, I'm not sure. Las Vegas Raiders could make some sense because Mark Davis is very aggressive, but Max Crosby is really vying for Antonio Pierce And the last time that they wanted their interim head coach to stay. They didn't enrich Bisaccia, and it didn't work out hiring Josh McDaniels, and they just got over the New England thing with Josh McDaniels. So if Belichick doesn't get a head coaching job, I think he still clearly wants to coach. He has a sour taste in his mouth. I'd give him a bag to be a DC. There's no doubt about it. Because you can pay him anything you want. Anything. Yeah. and, And there's
0: so much money in the game right now that, I mean, that, why do you see, you know, so many coaches fired at the end of the year? Because the TV money and the gambling money is so big that every owner in the league is empowered with a general fund payout that enables them to pay off everybody. You don't mm-hmm. like this guy, pay him off. You don't like this coaching staff, pay the entire coaching staff. Get lost. You can you can take – Jed did it with Chip Kelly. Jed did it with the Tom Sula coaches. Jed did it with the Harbaugh regime. He literally paid off three regimes in three seasons. What the Raiders the are additions. doing with McDaniels. Yeah. Exactly. So I think the Raiders do make sense because the Raiders badly want the New England flavor – tried it with McDaniels, who I think is probably going to go back to new England as their offensive coordinator under Mayo. Um, but I could see the Raiders making a big play for him. They would love Harbaugh, but Harbaugh is going to tell him no. Um, and I think Belichick could go there, but if you told me that Belichick doesn't want to be the head coach and all he wants to do is be a defensive czar, uh, for some team, I could picture that as well. It would not shock me. Um, One in the chat that's an interesting one on the Eagle front. Robbie has this one. He says, Chase, what's up with A.J. Brown scrubbing his social media of anything Eagles related?
1: A.J. Brown, had he's hurt, right? He's not going this weekend. He might go. Uh, The expectation is that he could go. He did hurt his knee on kind of a hip drop tackle last week against the Giants. He deactivated his Twitter, and then he scrubbed his Instagram of everything football related, not just Eagles related, but... It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, A.J. Brown, drama has followed him all throughout this year. He's clearly been frustrated. And then, going into that Giants game last week, he has one of the most personal, upfront, honest, and candid interviews I've ever seen from a professional athlete saying, it's on us, the players. It's not on the coaching staff. We're the one that's making mistakes. I have no problem with Nick Sirianni. This is why I've been frustrated, X, Y, Z. And then the Eagles don't need any more drama. And then he causes drama by scrubbing his social media feeds. Is he taking the LeBron approach where he's just trying to go blackout and not be on social media? Maybe. Who the hell knows? But the va- the vibes right now are terrible in Philly.
0: Um, Is Philly going to go down this weekend to Tampa? Let's get into some of these playoff games. That's the final one. It's Monday night. In Tampa, Philly got destroyed by the Giants. They lost at home to the Cardinals. They don't seem like they're ready to venture out on the road and beat a team that has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Their pass defense is a sieve, but now their run defense isn't any good either. Um, Does Philly circle the drain
1: on Monday night, and does Sirianni get dumped? Speaking of more coaching news, looks like Kalen DeBoer is going to take that Alabama job, by the way. He's negotiating right now, according to reports. That's a great hire. Uh, DeBoer's a really good coach. Yeah, really good coach who's done just a tremendous job with Washington, obviously helping to lead them to the national championship. For the Eagles, look, they played so poorly. They've lost five of six. There's a dark cloud hovering over that organization. The offense has been bad. It's been predictable. They've been sloppy. They're late to communicate plays in. They're late to communicate personnel packages in. They have no answers for the blitz. Jalen Hurts has not played well. Now he's dealing with the dislocated finger on his middle finger of his throwing hand. I still think the Eagles are going to find a way to win. And I think this is why I think they're going to go back to their bread and butter. I think they're going to rely on their strengths. I think they're going to run the hell out of the football. And when they played the Buccaneers back in week three, they ran it 40 times for more than 200 yards but for whatever reason this year they haven't relied on that offensive line as well as that running game and sometimes when you have a quarterback who's coming off a great season last year like Hertz, and when you pay him that big contract you feel the pressure for him to become a better passer and you become pass reliant because of it I think the Eagles with their struggles in the pass game just have to get back to leaning on that really really good offensive line who's at its best when they're moving downhill and they're going to run the football right at Tampa Bay. There's also like a 96% chance of rain. So I think the Eagles are going to be forced to run it because of how the offense is played, Jalen Hurts' injury, and the lack of explosion in the pass game as well as the weather. What this game comes down to, the Buccaneers are third in blitz rate. Jalen Hurts has been awful against the blitz, and they're also the third-best red zone defense in the NFL, whereas they're 23rd in yards given up. So, if the Eagles can capitalize red zone trips into touchdowns, I think they win. I do think it's close, but I think Philadelphia's talent just outweighs the Buccaneers.
0: Um, How about Detroit and the Rams uh, in Detroit? I think that we're looking at a shootout. I know the chic pick is is the Rams, but the Rams are one third of a football team yeah. and their D's ordinary and their special teams is a joke. So I, I, I know Detroit is not the Detroit team early and Laporta's is hurt. Brian Branch is dinged up. I don't know if he's going to go, but Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is back and he had a pick yeah. last week. And I think Dan Campbell plays a ball control deal. Um, and I think they that, that crowd carries them. I
1: like the Lions to beat the Rams in a shootout. Where are you in that game? I'm with you on a shootout because the Lions' defense is not good. They're susceptible to giving up a lot of yards and points, and the Rams' defense is just really, really young. I actually like the Rams in this game. Playoff experience, I give them the edge at quarterback, the edge at head coach, the edge as far as their weapons. They're hot right now, too. The Rams have won seven of eight, and you're right in saying that they're kind of a third of a football team to a certain degree. But that Lions team just doesn't have any playoff experience as an organization or with that roster, and this is first. Uh, this is the first playoff game for Dan Campbell, and I just think the pressure is going to be on Detroit with Matthew Stafford coming back to town, and I think that Stafford is going to want to prove to everybody that y'all shipped me away, you didn't like me when I was there, especially at the end, because we didn't have a lot of playoff success, and now I'm going to hand you a heartbreaking defeat. At least I'm rooting for that storyline because the theatrics of it are going to be awesome. Um, where are you in, in Green Bay, Dallas, I like Green Bay to win on the
0: road, and I know a lot of people go, oh, come on, Green Bay's defense is not going to be able to stand up to Dallas. This could be a high-scoring game as well. But I just think Gutekunst, the GM for Green Bay, is putting together a really good football team. Everybody talks about Detroit, but it's Green Bay that's coming. Love was a nice pick. They traded up for him. They've got all kinds of weapons. Uh, Aaron Jones is still good, and that D-line for the Packers, I think, is the difference in this game. I like the Packers to, to pull the upset here. Wow. Uh, I kind of, I, 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 and I think Niner fans will be like, yes. And then about midway through uh, the first quarter against green Bay, they're going to be like, uh Oh, why do we want this? Um, Cause green Bay, if they win, come to Levi's. I like green Bay to go on the road and beat Dallas. We're, and I think the McCarthy era comes to an end uh, on
1: after this game, w- where are you with green Bay and Dallas? I like Green Bay. I really like how they've played. And a lot of people don't realize that Jordan Love went out this year and threw 32 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Like, is that the most silent 32 and 11 for 4,100 plus yards that we've seen? In recent memory, and he got off to a little bit of a slow start to start the season, but this is a Green Bay team that has really found its groove and they've improved defensively three quarters through the season. They were so bad on the defensive side of the football, but they started to make some strides there, and I think that Matt LaFleur is an underrated coach. He wasn't just successful because of Aaron Rodgers and then that Packers front office has always done a great job of developing talent. Now, I don't think that the Packers are going to win this game. It would not shock me if they do. I think next year, though, the Packers are one of those sneaky teams that if they won the NFC, if they were a top three seed, it wouldn't surprise me at all because you're so right, Larry, like they're really good offensively at skill positions in the trenches. And then defensively, they have some really good players. And then in that secondary, Jire Alexander and others, really good defensive backs. So I actually think that they match up pretty well with Dallas. The thing with the Cowboys, you cannot trust them in a big spot. And it's not like the Cowboys are going on the road to play the Buccaneers last year when the Cowboys, you knew that they were going to win that game. This game becomes a little bit interesting because the pressure is on Dallas. And anytime the pressure has been on the Cowboys, they've faltered and they floundered so i think they win i think it's close i think the packers match up well but if the cowboys lose not going to surprise me one bit and i'm just going to laugh and all of cowboys fans faces here in dallas <laughs> uh
0: yeah and there's a bunch of them down there i'm sure and and yeah. you're probably one of the most hated guys because you're a pa guy and a guy who does eagles and Niners stuff yeah you're like uh you know you You go to a restaurant, there's no line, but you're waiting for an hour. Exactly, Uh, yeah. (laughs) What about Steelers-Bills? Supposedly, there's going to be like 50-mile-an-hour wins, and it may be a game where you can't throw the ball at all. Uh, But I don't know about the health of Minka, and we know TJ Watts out, and the Steelers' defense has not shown up since 2016 against Alex Smith in the playoffs. I mean, their defense always just gets ruined. I I think they're going to get destroyed in this game. Um Buffalo scares the hell out of me. I mean they're 6 and 6. They've won 5 in a row. If they get to the Super Bowl they will have won 8 in a row. Mm-hmm. God, I hope somebody knocks them off um along the way because I'm I fear Josh Allen in Vegas against my Niners in in the Super Bowl because I think he's going to get a Super Bowl ring and I hope it's not this year. Any chance Pittsburgh makes this close or is this uh, absolute domination for the Bills?
1: Yeah, our our Steelers host at Chat Sports made a pretty good point. And they were thinking about maybe moving this game to Cleveland. And he said, if this game gets moved to Cleveland, the Steelers stand no chance. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he said, with the inclement weather, this could be a run it, defensive-oriented game, which allows Pittsburgh to keep it close. And I think that the weather could allow Pittsburgh to keep it close. But the talent gap between Buffalo and Pittsburgh, I think, is great. And I think that Buffalo has played really, really solid ball over the last month and a half. They're one of those teams going into the playoffs that's hot. They figured it out defensively. Joe Brady has done a really good job as the offensive play caller stepping in for Ken Dorsey, who is relieved of his duties, the former Miami quarterback in the early 2000s when Willis McGahee and those hurricane teams were really good. Frank Gore was on that Miami team. And I'm with you. I fear Buffalo. I, I think that they beat Pittsburgh, though. But if the weather keeps this game close through three quarters and then Buffalo ends up pulling away, I kind of think that's the identity of this game. Yeah, KC, I think,
0: is going gonna, is gonna to lose before the Super Bowl, but I don't think they're going to lose this game. I mean, Miami's signing defensive ends off the street. They'd signed Bruce Irvin. They signed signed Justin Houston. Van Ginkle's out. Chubb's out. Uh obviously Jalen Phillips is out. Jerome Baker's out. Um uh, Miami in freezing weather against Mahomes, who's nine and two at home in the playoffs. I, I I think Kansas City is going to lose in these playoffs. But they do in this game at home, I think they're gonna just I think their defense is gonna be charged up. I think Mahomes is gonna be charged up, and I think this is I think this is the easiest game to pick all weekend. I know Kansas City's look bad, and their tackles are struggling, and penalties, and uh, drops, and Mahomes isn't is not played great. Kelsey's having kind of a little bit of an off year for him. I still think Kansas City circles the wagons and wins huge over
1: Miami. Do you see this being a competitive game? I don't. I think the easiest bet of the weekend is KC and minus three, minus four, depending on what sports book you look at. There is no way in my eyes that Miami, a team that's only beat one team with a winning record this year and is always terrible in the cold and always plays poorly offensively against physical teams and the Kansas City Chiefs' very physical defenses, uh, defense goes into Kansas City and wins that game. Um, it's funny, because the weather is supposed to be so bad, Tickets are like $35 to go to this game. And it's about a it's about a seven and a half hour trip from Dallas to Kansas City. And I threw it in the work chat earlier. I was like, is anybody trying to go? Because I might be down to go to that game tomorrow. If we can rally the troops, $35. And you can say that you were maybe at the coldest game in the history of the NFL. But this Dolphins team is so bad in the cold weather. I don't see Tua Valoa being able to throw in this weather. With the wind, with the snow, with the cold. Give me KC and give me KC Big. Is Tua done in Miami? Because he's not to me.
0: He reminds me a lot of Kaepernick in that the league adjusted to him, and I don't know that there's an adjustment back. I I watched him in that Buffalo game. He doesn't read coverage. If if the first look isn't there, Chase. I mean, you know, Greg Cosell used to say about Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not a great late in the down thrower. I I, I could say the same thing about Tua. I don't feel like he reads coverage at all. I think in some ways he's been found out. They got great weapons there,
1: but I I don't see him with a bright future there. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's done. Maybe he gets one more year, but let me pose this question for everybody watching. What is special about Tua? Doesn't have a strong arm, isn't big physically, can't run. Maybe you can say timing and anticipation, and I think in the first three quarters he's good at that. But that final drive against Buffalo, he almost got picked twice. And then the lateral one was intercepted when I'm not sure what he was throwing at in double coverage when he threw just an inaccurate ball to the outside. I'm not sure what Tua is elite at and Mike McDaniel has to figure it out because That offense is pretty good. It has some flaws and holes in it because anytime they've gone up against a physical team, as I've said, they've really, really struggled. They don't have the physicality of Kyle Shanahan's team. And I don't know why Mike McDaniel doesn't utilize tight ends at all like Shanahan does with George Kittle. But I don't think two is the guy long-term because I just don't see the special at all. I
0: don't like rookie quarterbacks going against number one defenses. And that's what we have with Stroud going against the Browns. I'm taking the Browns all day and every day. Now, the Browns do turn it over, uh, and the and I'll give the Texans credit. They take it away, but the yep. Browns also take it away. The Browns have, like, 26 takeaways this year. They got a killer D, uh, and Flacco's rolling, throwing for 300 yards, like, you know, at five, six, seven times, whatever it is. I like the Browns um, on the road in Houston to move on. I I think the Browns may give the Ravens a um, more than they want in round two. I definitely think the Houston win, lose or draw. It's been a successful year for D'Amico, but um, give me the Browns. Give me the Browns in in NRG. You were just there. What do you think? What's what's uh, what's the vibe in Houston about this game? Well,
1: the vibe in Houston is, oh, my gosh, we made the playoffs. And for the first time in NFL history, a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback won a division. Great story. They maximized that roster. D'Amico Ryans did a hell of a job, and I absolutely love the hire by the Texans to bring him in, given his familiarity with that organization. But the work that he did with that Niners defense, they were terrific last year. And I'm not a huge advocate of hiring defensive minds as head coaches nowadays Because it's an offensive league, and when you do get a really good offensive coordinator, they're going to be gone within one to three years, and we'll probably see that with Bobby Slowick, their current play caller and offensive coordinator, who came over from the Niners as the former pass game coordinator, but I thought D'Amico was the exception. Players really like him, awesome defensive scheme seems to be a really good game manager and what he's done this year with probably a bottom 10 roster is very very impressive I like the Browns to win this game though that defense is terrific going up against CJ Stroud I'll always take the defense in this type of spot the Browns do turn it over as you noted and I know that Joe Flacco has been a great story he's played awesome ball and if you go box score hunting the numbers that he's put up through the air terrific right He has thrown a lot of interceptable passes, though. And if those interceptable passes turn into actual interceptions, the game can change. But I just think that this Browns team is special. It might be the best Browns team that I've ever seen. That defense is legit. Jim Swartz has done a hell of a job as their DC. Kevin Stefanski, I think he's the coach of the year. Four starting quarterbacks this year, and they still won double-digit games. And I also am a huge fan of physical football. And if we can see Browns, Ravens in the second round, I think that's basically an AFC championship type of game. So give me Cleveland in that spot.
0: Bosa didn't get first team or second team All-Pro. Um, how surprised are you? I mean, there's a lot of great ones, right? Yeah. Miles Garrett's been terrific. TJ Watt's been terrific. Those guys had to go in front of Bosa this year yeah. for sure. But then Micah Parsons also made the second team uh, in front of Bosa. And in um, Max Crosby. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know that Bosa's got a leg to stand on, really. I know he's a hell of a player. He's making a grip of cash. Uh, he's he's as talented as any of, the, of any of these guys,
1: but um, I don't think uh he can sit there and really say anything about it. I agree. Yeah, this wasn't the year for Nick Bosa to be an AP all pro, and that's fine. He had 10 and a half sacks, he was really good, but I also think that he was impacted a little bit by not having any training camp any preseason games. And that's why he got off to a slow start. I know that he came into camp in great peak physical condition. He's a specimen. I mean, he's sculpted. Uh, He's always in really good shape, but football shape is much different. And he wasn't in football shape to start the year. And that's why, he failed to sack the quarterback a lot early in the year. And when you only have 10 and a half sacks, you can look at the pro football focus numbers all you want, but TJ Watt put up stupid numbers. Miles Garrett might be the defensive player of the year and Micah Parsons and Max Crosby had better years than Nick Bosa. So I'm not surprised at all. And I don't think frankly that he should have been named an all pro and look, he won defensive player of the year last year. It's fine. Yeah. Five all
0: pros two uh, team, all pros for the Niners.
1: What team should
0: Niner fans be rooting to play in the division round? Who should they be fearful of in the division round?
1: Um, I think that they would beat Philly handily again. I think that they would beat the Rams. I think that they would beat the Packers. I think the Rams and Packers could pose some challenges. I wouldn't fear the Lions in the playoffs at all, because I'm not sure their defense is going to be able to stop San Francisco. And I don't think Jared Goff's going to be able to come into Levi's Dallas Cowboys. I think second go around, they're not going to get blown out 42 to 10, but this Niners defense has always played well against Dak Prescott. And I think the Niners have the edge in basically every phase. So this is as good of an opportunity as San Francisco has had in a really, really long time to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And I think the only way that they lose, Larry, is if they shoot themselves. Now, in the only games that the Niners have lost this year, what's happened? They've been negative in turnovers. So if they shoot themselves in the foot and if they turn the football over and they get sloppy and they beat themselves, then that's a recipe for them going down early. It would be a massive choke job, though, because they are by far and away the best team in the NFC. And I don't think it's close. So my concerns with this team turnovers, Brock Purdy getting intercepted and having a clunker of a game like he did against Baltimore. It's this offensive line on the right side of it with Colton McKivitz and Spencer Burford, maybe John Feliciano. I think Feliciano should play at right guard. The kicking game really concerns me as well. With Jake Moody, is it going to be a mental thing or was it one bad game in week 18 against the Rams? Those are my concerns for this Niners team going into the playoffs, but they're really healthy. And under Kyle Shanahan, every year since 2017 up until this year, and the data isn't out, they've been top 10 in injury rate. And this year, going into the division round, they're actually really healthy. So the stars are aligning for San Francisco, and if they don't make it to Las Vegas, it is just a disaster, and it's an epic joke job, and I won't be able to recover because I really want to cover a Super Bowl run here for the Niners, and I want to be in Vegas on Super Bowl Radio Row again.
0: Oh, I do too, man. And it's going to be bitter if they lose in the NFC playoffs. I agree with you. What do you see? Now, let's just... Just for the sake of conversation, not trying to harp on the negative. But what do you see as the Niners pivot if they do go down? Not in the Super Bowl and some epic Ravens, Bills struggle, right. but if they lose to Green Bay in the division round, or they lose, you know, to one of these NFC teams that they should beat, what's the pivot? I mean, you know, um, there's going to gonna have to be some pivot, for sure. There's going to have to be something that, you know, because the window's starting to close and Trent's getting older. Armstead could be near the end. Uh, Kittle's 30. This thing's not going to last forever. Right now, they're right. You know, the 2019 team was ahead of schedule. This team's right on schedule. If they mm-hmm. lose this year, they're now behind schedule, and the pressure is starting to mount on Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. What's the pivot? that's going to kind of reignite the fire for Niner fans if by chance they fall in these playoffs.
1: Yeah, you're going to have to make some tough financial decisions. Does that mean you move on from an Eric Armstead? Does that mean that you move on from a Kyle Juszczyk and you save some money there? I think it's really important to develop that wide receiver quarterback combination between Brock Purdy and Brandon You can continue that ascent I think it's really, really important for the Niners to bring back Brandon I. You can't let special go, and he's a special player. Do you make some changes defensively for this team? I'm really not sure. Honestly, what it comes down to me, and it's going to depend on how they lose. If they lose, can you please finally invest in a right tackle? And can you sure up right guard? And Jake Brendel, I guess, is pretty solid at center, But do you invest more there? And do you just have a better offensive line? Because against Cleveland, offensive line got exposed. Miles Garrett. Week one against Pittsburgh, offensive line got exposed. TJ Watt. Against the Ravens, you gave up 22 pressures, the most since week one. The previous high was 15. And the Ravens lead the NFL in sacks. Can you finally invest in the offensive line? Because, This is still a pretty young team, like Debo, Ayuk. I know George Kittle's getting a little bit older. Do you move on from him? I'm not sure because this year he's an all-pro, first 1,000-yard season since 2019, and you want to continue to maximize Brock Purdy being on that rookie contract. Um, There will have to be tough decisions made, but I think you have to finally start to invest in the offensive line, which outside of Aaron Banks, second-round pick, and Trent Williams, who maybe is the best left tackle of all time, you really haven't invested in that unit. How fragile are the 49ers? And when
0: I say that, you know, I mean, I've I've thrown this out in a couple different live streams, but I got to throw it your way. The Niners have had a halftime lead in 11 of their 12 wins this year. They were tied in the other one. They've trailed entering the third quarter three times. They went 0-3 in those games. And, now, you know, I, I believe in Brock Purdy under pressure, even though others don't. I don't know about Jake Moody under pressure. Um you know, it's like if it's fourth and four from the 35-yard line in the fourth quarter, um, you know, or in the second half, do you really trot Jake out there for a 50-plus-yard field goal? Or do you go for it on fourth and four? I think I would go for it based Me on too. what I've seen. Yeah. But how fragile are the 49ers? Do they need to have the game um, played out on in their typical script? Or can they come from behind and they just haven't?
1: Yeah. Th- that's another thing. When, when I talk about my concerns with this team, it's the right side of the offensive line. As I said, it's the kicking game. It's them beating themselves, but also this is the NFL playoffs, man. You're going up against some really good teams. And at some point you might have to come from behind. And the Niners simply have not been able to do that. Now you can look at it glass half full. Hey, Brock Purdy's young. He's inexperienced. He hasn't had a lot of these opportunities, especially with how dominant the Niners have been. And when you look at the complexion of games, when he replaced Jimmy Garoppolo, they were always leading and rarely having to come back from behind. I think the only time he had to do that in the regular season was against the Raiders on New Year's Day. But I also look at that Cowboys game. I also look at that Seahawks game. And those games in the NFL playoffs, Brock Purdy was not good early. But then he really responded to that adversity and ended up playing well as the game progressed. And that game against the Cowboys was really tight. And in the third, fourth quarter, Brock Purdy made some really big plays downfield. I think this is something that Kyle Shanahan has to get over as well. But this is what scares me. And this is where the fragility, I guess, comes in. Brock Purdy, between the Washington game and the divisional round, will have not played for three weeks. I think it's really, really important for the Niners to jump off to an early lead and get out to an early advantage. Because if they don't, that's when Shanahan starts to press as a play caller. That's when Brock Purdy starts to press as a quarterback. And we've seen that this Niners team can't come from behind. And I think this Niners team as a whole, number one seed. At home, best team in the NFC. We can't mess this up. That's when they start to get a little bit nervous. So I think that's where the fragility comes into play a little bit. And I'm with you, man. Like, fourth and four, and it's a long field goal for Jake Moody. If you miss, you give the offense on the other sideline an opportunity to take over right around midfield. I might rely on my strengths there, and I might go for it instead of leaving it on the leg of Jake Moody, who's a little bit shaky. And the thing with Moody, you could have avoided this. You could have brought back Robbie Gold. You did not have to spend a third-round pick on Jake Moody. That was the Niners' decision to do that. And they've had opportunities to move on from him. And Robbie Gold's still out there. They could have made a change, but they're going all in on a rookie kicker, and that's a risky proposition. All right, last one, and we appreciate uh, your time, man, and
0: really enjoying you jumping on with us on Friday. So much love and and appreciate uh, you. And I know Niner fans really appreciate uh, your coverage of the team. For sure. Um, I'm just reading this on Twitter, and this is a breaking story. Now, I don't know this guy personally, but I I think he's a legitimate reporter. Wesley Steinberg um, is his breaking news. Not USC legit. quarterback. Not it's not legit. No, not legit. Yeah, people have gotten got by him before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, though. Bears have the number one pick in the draft. Are they going to trade Justin Fields and go with Caleb Williams Or is Caleb Williams want to play for the Bears? And then do you think Adam Peters' first major move is, I mean, you look at the top three picks in the draft. Chicago owns the first pick. They also own the ninth pick. Uh, They have Justin Fields. Washington has the second pick. They need a quarterback. And the Patriots have the third pick. And unless you're a Mac Jones fan, they need a quarterback. So there's Caleb Williams, there's Drake May, and there's Jaden Daniels all at the top of the draft. Um, if you love Michael Penix, though, he's got some injury concerns. You could also put him in that group. Heck, if Bro you love Nicks. Bo Nix, yep. you could throw him in that deal. But I think he's, you know, I'm looking at the mock drafts. They say he's he's in the second round. They also have J.J. McCarthy in the second round. So let's just say it's between Penix, Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, and your Chicago. What do you do? You you know, I mean, and, and who trade does Adam Peters trade from two to one and take Caleb Williams is Caleb the clear. Number one, um, you know, is, is may the clear number one is Jaden Daniels, the Heisman trophy winner, 40 touchdowns this year, only four picks completed 72%. He has the best numbers this year of the college quarterbacks, but he's very, he's kind of slight, even though he's two ten he's six, four, he's skinny. What do you think? Penix is one of my favorites. He's got one of the greatest arms
1: I've ever seen. What do you think Chicago does with the top pick in the draft? I think the Bears are playing this wrong, and Ryan Poles has actually done a good job with compiling player assets and draft assets. They're set up in a really, really good position with that Panthers pick and then their own pick. If I'm Chicago, this is what I'm doing. I'm firing Matt Eberflus. He is clearly not an elite head coach in this league. They're only bringing him back because he finished the season strong, but I know who he is as a head coach. What I'm doing, and they're not going to do this because they're bringing bringing Matt Eberflus back, I'm hiring an offensive mind and I'm drafting a quarterback and I'm resetting the clock on the quarterback position because with Justin Fields, you can't do that. You can exercise his fifth-year option all you want, but if you want him back, you're going to have to pay him at some point very, very soon, whereas if you draft a quarterback, that's five years right there if you exercise that fifth-year option. I'm drafting a quarterback, I'm getting an offensive lineman or an edge, and I'm bringing in an offensive-minded head coach. That's what I'm doing if I'm Chicago. Now, they're going to keep Matt Eberflus, and I don't have any confidence in that staff where if they draft Caleb Williams or Drake May, and I like Drake May a little bit more than Caleb Williams because I don't love all the antics from Williams, and everybody falls in love and becomes obsessed with all of the improvisational plays. Can you win consistently from the pocket? And I think May does that just a little bit better than Caleb Williams. I'm resetting the quarterback clock. I'm getting a new head coach, and that's how I'm going about it. Either way, I'm still drafting a quarterback, and then I'm trading Justin Fields, who I think has ability and upside with the better offensive staff for a second-round pick, and then you're looking at two really premium draft slots, a second-round pick as well, and then you're on your road for rebuilding the organization, and then for Adam Peters, you got to get your quarterback because I don't think that Sam Howell is it, and in a deep quarterback draft class there are a lot of quarterbacks to be had where you can also reset the clock and then hire a ben johnson and i think you're well on your way to getting that organization back on track as well i would rank the quarterbacks pennix
0: one may two caleb three daniels four and i i really I don't do hate lo- that actually i really like bo Nix too so i bo Nix might actually be in front of daniels but um, I like Penix the most, and I like Drake May. I'm not sure about Caleb. I'm really not. I mean, SC quarterbacks are very difficult to evaluate. Uh, two last supers, and then we'll jet. Gammon Brown says, 49ers are winning two Super Bowls straight. Let's effing go. It's great for go. Larry and
1: I, as well yeah, as the fans.
0: No, seriously. We'll <laughs> be partying in Vegas, and it'll be a great night. Yeah. Uh, and Gammon Brown, one more. He says, what are your top six playoff teams in order? Thank you. I'll give, uh, I'll give, um, uh, chase a, ch- a chance to think for a second, because I've seen this and chase is just being hit with this, but I'm going to say Niners one Buffalo two, Baltimore, three, Kansas city, four Cleveland, five Detroit, six. I think it's the Niners five straight AFC teams are, uh, yeah, five. What we one, two, three, four, four straight AFC teams, and then the Lions. So I I know a lot of people would put Baltimore uh atop this list, but I don't know if I believe uh, in Baltimore's weapons. I mean, it's not about Lamar. It's not about the defense. I don't like their running backs, and and I think if you can slow down Zay Flowers, a rookie receiver, um, you know that their their other receivers are just guys. So I like Josh Allen, um, and I'm gonna put him number two. Niners, Buffalo, Baltimore, KC, Cleveland, Detroit would be my top six playoff teams. Chase, I'm going to take out a pen. Who are yours?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go Ravens. They won the head-to-head. I think they're as well-rounded, and Lamar Jackson has his best offensive supporting cast he's had in his career. They're number one. I'm going to go Niners, number two. I'll go Buffalo, three. Browns, four. Chiefs, five and Cowboys six. A little bit more love for Cleveland,
0: a little bit more love for Dallas, a little bit more love for Baltimore. I I think most people would probably agree with you. They'd put Baltimore one. They'd put the Niners two. Um, Buffalo's kind of a crapshoot, but Buffalo three. It's interesting. So you have a belief in Cleveland. Is there any chance that Cleveland winds up in the bowl
1: next to the Niners? I think they can. Yeah, they can run it. Great offensive scheme, great offensive play caller, good weapons at wide receiver and tight end. If Joe Flacco, and this is going to be the key, doesn't turn the football over, I think they can make it to the Super Bowl. And you think back to that Super Bowl run, which obviously resulted in the win over San Francisco 11 touchdowns, one pick. And during that Patriots two decade long dynasty, the thorn in their side was always the Ravens. And it was always Joe Flacco because he plays really good ball in January and February. So, That on top of their defense, maybe outside of Baltimore being the best in the NFL, I think they have a slight edge on San Francisco. I love the makeup. I love the toughness of that team. And I think toughness wins in January and February. Check this guy out on chat sports. He's outstanding. It's the fastest hour on YouTube. It's Friday mornings at 1045. Chase, when are you on next? Yeah, so I'm actually going to go live for another watch party. I'm going to do the Cowboys Packers game because that has a lot of NFC implications and The Packers could be a team that the Niners play next round. Dallas may be in the NFC Championship game, so I'll be live next on Sunday. But I just put out a video on Adam Peters uh, on the channel right before we went live, so that's up, and then coverage every single day, year-round to come. So Check this guy out Sunday. It's
0: a 1.30 kickoff for Dallas and Green Bay out of here on the West Coast, 1.30 West
1: Coast, 4.30 East Coast. Chase, you're the man, man. Have a great Friday. Always a pleasure. Love hopping on the stream. See everybody. Peace. Yeah, never met a man I've been scared of. Careful, you gon' get exactly what you asked for. Careful, whatever you bring me, get in. Here.